Hey everybody, it's Espo. I wanted to take a moment before we got into this episode to thank you guys for listening. Today is our 100th episode. You're listening to it right now. And it may not seem like a big deal, but a lot of podcasts don't even make it to 10 episodes, all right? Uh, And it, it means a lot to us that you've stuck with us, that you've helped us grow this show. And we hope we can do another 100 episodes and maybe actually get to the point where we're talking about, you know, 40 50 wins in a season right now i think we have more episodes than the suns have wins in the time we've been doing the show so but we appreciate it we're going to stick with you we're going to stick with this team even though it's been painful we'll be your group therapy session so enjoy the 100th episode and thanks for making everything possible for us here at the sun solar panel Hey, I'm McCoy here, and you are listening to the Solar Panel, the Phoenix Sun Show. Part of Almighty Baller Radio. And kicking this off, because again, it has been a difficult season, with a a word from one of our listeners on why they are Phoenix Suns fans. This one comes from Kerry Lackey on Facebook on the Sun Solar Panel. He said, my dad had six season tickets to the inaugural, the inaugural, if I can speak, inaugural year, 1968, when I was five years old, and he'd take me to the games throughout my childhood. I love the Madhouse on McDowell and even the super corny Desert City Six. Do you guys even have an inkling of an idea as to what I'm talking about? I'm sure that Dave does. I was raised in Phoenix when the Suns were the only pro team in town. I have remained a loyal fan since, even through this horrific Sarver as owner era. Hashtag Sarver out. Hashtag sell the Suns. (laughs) Desert City Six. Desert City Six. I don't know that one. And I thought I knew all the random obscure things. Yeah, I have to to call on that as well. I'm going to guess that's probably an early 80s uh kind of team i i'm just well, you, you gonna take a swimming and guess, the old guess guy, so, yeah you're probably talking what paul westball <laughs> thinks actually yeah, because that, the early 80s are like the one blind spot i have with this team i don't know much about Not late about 70s? those early 80s teams i know i actually i know a decent amount about the 60s and 70s having read uh Joe Gilmartin's book and a couple other things. Uh, I know, you know, eighty-seven, the cocaine stuff, you know, uh, and everything that came after that. But that early '80s is where my blind spot is. So I'm going to guess that's where the Desert City Six comes in uh, in there. But that's actually now he needs to tell us. Was that the name of the Desert City Six? I feel like it's it's the name of a venue. Was it? Well, he said. No, I don't know. He said the Madhouse on McDowell and even the super corny Desert City Six. So I'm thinking it was a venue. Yeah, no, because they only played at the Madhouse and AWA. Uh, you know, now Talking Stick Resort Arena, overly named uh, building that they're in now same building as then they've only played in two places so um, i don't think it i don't think it's a reference i think it's a reference it might actually be you might be right it might have to well no because <laughs> he said he liked it and i don't yeah, think anybody's yeah. gonna like the the drug uh the drug era of the phoenix suns uh at all so desert city six uh, got it now this is going to drive me nuts. He's going to uh, have so to tell in, us because I don't think. It... Maybe in the comment section on the bright side uh, post, we can have somebody talk to us about Desert City 6 because I'm even Googling it and I'm not finding. So we're not going to solve it here on this pod. Well, it was a cool story, though. So if you want to share yours. <laughs> it was a cool story. I want to Thank know. Thank you so much for, for assuming that I would know. I appreciate that. I that wish was me, I did. actually. I just don't. Huh? That, I, I oh. threw that part in. You can't read for you can't make up stuff that other people didn't say, Tim. <laughs> Listen, uh, I want to get these two things out of the way really quickly at the beginning of the episode. We have a whole lot to talk about, but two things that crossed my mind this week. I want to get your guys' takes on them. First, should the Suns have put in their chips for Jimmy Butler? No, no, he wouldn't have resigned here. 
So why waste why waste the assets when you need to pursue somebody that you think will be here long term? And we just knew Jimmy Butler wouldn't be that guy. If he didn't want to be in Minnesota long term, sure as hell is not going to want to be in Phoenix long term. Uh, Philly's a place that uh, is going to satisfy his desire to win and his desire to get paid. He wound up in the spot that he's supposed to be in. I, I was surprised at how little Minnesota got for him in the end, uh, especially when you heard Houston talking about dealing every first-round pick they could get their hands on for eternity for him. But uh, Yeah, Houston's trade yeah, was no, not attractive. I don't attractive. think they should have wasted it. Houston's trade offer was not attractive at all. Not for Dibs, anyway. Well, no, it's just not attractive, period, because the the expectation would be that there would be protections on things, and, and, and you don't know how bad the team is going to be. Uh, they, they looked like late first-rounders most of the time, through most of that period, and that just that couldn't have been a, a good trade. Plus, you have to acquire Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris, and you know, no, no lingering offense to them, but they, they aren't the kind of guys who are going to help you win basketball games. Also, Thibs wanted some players Salary that could play. Filler. Uh, Robert Covington is a really good player too. So, uh, don't. Oh, sleep oh, on and his back value. to Bill Simmons for a moment. Um, when he's when the trade Suns made the trade for um, R.I.P. Ryan Anderson, but uh, when the Suns made the trade there, he said all of a sudden Mark, um, Brandon Knight's contract was tradable. The Rockets couldn't even attach four first round picks to make him tradable. Well, he's not playing. Is it can, can, can we? Oh, can I we know they would have. They I would have. They would have. They would have had to include six first-round picks if he was playing. The, the fact, fact that the Suns got off of that contract is still amazing to me, and I get it. You took back Ryan Anderson, but it was it was a swing, all right. You you knew if yeah. Brandon Knight were here, it was going to probably be the dead money. Dave probably not going to get anything out of it. <laughs> Dave Kingman in a season-long slump of the NBA. Oh, I thought you, you said they were the Dave King of the NBA, and I was going to agree with you until uh, you keep trying uh, to make then, so. references to my last name. You know, every every week there's a new one. You said Dave Kingman. Kingman. I think it wasn't that. I don't think it was that big of a stretch to go. <laughs> hey, drop the man, and he got Dave King. Right. Drop the man, and you got Dave King. Oh, that's that's nice. <laughs> That's nice. I like that. I need to change that on my Twitter profile. <laughs> I decided I'm going to have my fiance measure my wingspan, and I'm going to start oh. putting that on my Twitter profile. What is your wingspan? I don't now know. I'm got, going to have it measured. Now we've got a dirty, dirty area here. <laughs> Fiance's measuring things. Can we get back to the Suns now, yes, please? Yes. The second question <laughs> I have, um, should the Suns try and acquire Mellow? No. <laughs> You, you want to make a bad situation worse? There you go. Oh, I'd rather bring back Muggsy Bogues out of retirement. All right, all right, all right. I'd rather bring back Perrin and Knight if we're going to take useless uh, useless rockets, all right? Talk to us, Tim. Um, make the case. Make the case. I mean, that mine wasn't a, a case for or against. It was merely... You know, I've seen a lot of talk on Suns Reddit, on different by different Suns fans on Twitter, on Facebook, and uh, the Suns are in need of a power forward. Forward, it's an interesting um, proposition. Let's face it, Twitter I, I, and Reddit have no qualification for entry, though. No, no, I'm not. I'm not saying that it's a good idea because they're saying it. I'm saying they're talking about it, so I figured we would mention it. Um, do we know? Do we know if LeBron James likes Carmelo Anthony? If so, he may put in a call to James Jones, and Carmelo may be the starting forward here soon. I'm just going off well, of what Reddit and Twitter say about just take James Jones as well. I think LeBron. that's pro probably the likely thing that will happen. Yeah. Well, on that note, you are listening to the Solar Panel Phoenix Sun Show. You can find us on all things social media, on Twitter, on Facebook. I think we have an Instagram we post on every once in a while. Uh, just search for Sun Solar Panel. You can follow us individually on Twitter. You can find Greg Esposito at Espo, Dave King at Dave King NBA, myself, Tim Tompkins at Radio Tim NBA. Don't forget that we are on Spotify if you want to listen to us there. Giving you guys a shout out, leaving us a shout out, leaving us a review on iTunes. This week we have one from. Actually, 
So this week our review comes from Target, the store, right? And I got a little story for you for our review this week. So I'm at Target with my two-year-old daughter. We're looking at princess dolls because that's what my life is now, is taking my daughter to Target so she can visit Bullseye the Dog and look at princess toys. So we're doing this the the other night, and all of a sudden, and, and I'm wearing a son's hat, and uh, and so the guy walks up to me and goes, ah, must be tough to, it's it's tough being a son's fan, huh? You're, we're one of the last few that are left, right? Like, all right, yeah, let, let's talk sons. Yeah, so, so I turn around. It's actually the store manager and a guy named Chase. And we start talking, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. And you, you know, we talk a little sons. And all of a sudden, you look familiar. And I'm pretty sure he knew the whole time, and, he wa- and that's why he came up to me to talk sons. And he goes, you look familiar. I go, oh, yeah? He goes, you're Espo, right? I go, yeah, I, I, that, that, that's what some people call me, yes. He goes, I love the solar panel. I listen to it every week. Uh, me and my buddies love the show. Uh, and at that point, I went, yep, let's talk more, Chase. You, now, you, now you got me interested. <laughs> so uh, so he, lo- he loves the show. He's a big fan, a huge Suns fan. So I wanted to give Chase a shout out because that's one most certainly an in-person five-star review so if you're ever ever in the mesa area hit up uh i'm not gonna tell you exactly where because i don't want any creepers trying to find me in an aisle when i'm with my daughter it's all right if the store manager does but no randoms great, great. you don't have any groupies Robin. don't worry about that Jesus. <laughs> I, I hope not i really hope not start but uh, if you're ever in target in mesa if you're ever in Mesa, stop by the Target, ask for Chase, tell him you're a Sun Solar Panel fan too, and uh, and you guys all have a nice chat. He was a very nice, big fan. I'm sure I'll see him again. And uh, if we ever get some new uh, new logo swag, I'm going to bring it over to Chase. Uh, why didn't you work the it nice out with him to have the, about the show? Why didn't you work it out with him to have the the promo code ten percent off your next purchase if you mention Solar Panel to Chase? Hey, let, listen, I, I keep all the discounts and good stuff to myself, so mm. I'm not going to tell you what Chase and I uh, came up with for my deal when I go to Target. Yes, I get, Tim is using a fidget spinner right now uh, on, on the camera. Well, that's I what I do when you guys... I get for free at Target, thanks to Chase. <laughs> when you guys ramble on. I'm no, sorry that's... I've bored you so much. <laughs> that's, uh, no, I just, I uh, appreciate... Can we get back to the Suns now before people turn off this episode? I just really appreciate you guys being able to eat up five minutes of show content on nothing. It's... Yeah, well, you're Dude, the editor. 60 minutes a week. Cut it out. <laughs> listen, listen. We've done 100 episodes on nothing. By the way, this is our 100th episode. I'm yeah. glad we're celebrating this in, in big fashion with Tim <laughs> with a fashion. fidget spinner and me telling a story about Target. Happy 100, folks. Thank you for listening all this time. We really appreciate it. Uh, we're back. We're right where we started with nothing to talk about and a losing basketball team. Yeah. Shout out to the other podcasts on their uh, 24th episodes. Shout out to you guys. Hey, if you had them <laughs> all together, they got 100. Imitations is the sincerest form of flattery. Hey, hey, nobody can talk for an hour about absolutely nothing of value like we can. So we're still number one in that area. (laughs) I mean, with all those others, you actually learn something. With us, you learn nothing. You come out actually a little dumber. At the rate we're talking, everybody switched over to one of those other Suns podcasts. (laughs) So let's get back to the team. The Solar Panel Podcast, where we have irrational love for anyone drafted by the Suns in the second round. So, Devin Booker this season, he has had 32 bad pass turnovers. He has had 15 lost ball turnovers, and he's had seven other turnovers. That includes things like traveling, offensive fouls, stepping out of bounds, yada, yada, yada. As far as bad pass turnovers, he definitely leads the team with 32. The next closest is Josh Jackson with 20. So speaking of Devin Booker's turnovers, Jackson was recently, Josh Jackson was recently on an interview and he said this quote about Booker. One of the things he's really been trying to show a lot of guys on the team is the right spots to be in. Sometimes Devin, he'll make a pass and it'll be a turnover and he does it to prove a point to a guy sometimes to show them, hey, that's where you're supposed to be. That's the open spot. So 
assuming that Devin Booker is doing this, and it honestly wouldn't surprise me with 32 bad pass turnovers over the course of the season, is this something that is a positive, uh, a, a positive style of teaching for the team? Well, when talking with Bob Young, Booker almost uh, in the same article almost uh, acknowledges that he does it. He says a few times when asked about it, he said with just a hint of a smile, Bob Young said. So Devin's even insinuating that what Josh Jackson said is in what at one in one hand, I get it if you do it from time to time. But I also think this might be the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. If I went to work and said, I'm making mistakes because I wanted to make sure you're catching them to somebody, I think I'd probably get in trouble. Now, I get it. Devin Booker is making you know, $158 million and I'm not making even a fraction of that, and, uh, you know, and I'm not a star at work, but it seems like a pretty ridiculous thing uh, to, to actually – consider there is that he'd do this on purpose and somehow it's teaching a real lesson well it's not just, like he's I throwing the ball see how that happens it's not like he's throwing the ball 20 feet ahead i think what he's he's just saying is that when he sees something unfolding on the court he'll throw the ball a little bit further than the guy has moved especially um not especially but in a lot of cases most of his passes are to deandre aiden a lot of the sun's players their passes are to deandre aiden and there are times Aiden doesn't roll fast enough. Aiden made a comment a week ago that he um, he has to realize that when Devin and him are in a pick and roll, he's got to dive fast toward the rim. Whereas with when Isaiah and him are in a pick and roll offensively, don't talk about defense, but offensively, um, he has to stay behind and and hook you know kind of hook the guy with his hip a little bit to give Isaiah more of a chance to to clear the defender. So he's uh, Aiden's learning, and I think Booker just wants him to play faster, at a faster pace on offense. And and you know on Saturday night against the Thunder, I I thought Booker was really good um, as as a facilitator. Now Booker did admit that he is a step slow, and then immediately when we asked him why he's a step slow, he refused to talk about. It. I think he's really tired of talking about his injuries. He got so tired of talking about his hand um, over the past six months, and then his hamstring. He just doesn't want to talk anymore. And you know, I, I asked Igor. Igor says, yeah, he won't tell me anything either. He just wants to play. But Booker did let it slip that he's a step slow right now. Um, that could be hamstring. It could be back, um, just a stiff back as a result of the hamstring issues. Either way, he's trying to be more of a facilitator. And he had 12 assists against only one turnover on Saturday against a very, very active and, um, you know, uh, turnover. Like the Thunder lead the league in forced turnovers. And Booker only had one in that game. And I thought that was pretty good. And he got Aiden to slip and dive to the rim a lot. So I think it is a learning thing. And I do think it's positive. Uh, I don't think it's punitive in any way. Although Devin Booker is a little precocious thinking he's the one who's going who's gonna to be the point guard. But somebody has to be the point guard. Somebody has to get tell the guys where they should be as the play is unfolding. Uh, this is Aiden's first dozen games in the NBA. This is Bridges' first dozen games in the NBA. This is Josh Jackson's. Seems like every game is his first game in the NBA sometimes. I mean, you've got a lot of guys you need to learn. And if Booker can see it unfolding and wants to let those guys know where they should have been on a play, that can be helpful. Um, definitely. They've, they've had a tough schedule so far, the Suns. And uh, they've got to learn what they can in this stretch. Well, look, that's what a leader does. If there's a void in leadership, uh, a true leader, whether they're in that position or not, steps up to fill that void. So I get that that's what Devin Booker's trying to do in lieu of a real point guard who can do that. But I, I really don't think that he's purposefully going in a split-section decision. I know the guy's supposed to be there. I'm going to throw it there even he's, though he's not there and cause a turnover. That seems a little ridiculous to me. The The idea that he's trying to teach these guys where they need to be, that's not ridiculous at all. But the the, the idea that he's making turnovers on purpose uh, seems ridiculous to me. I don't think it's regular, but I think there's been a time or two probably, yeah, where he's just like uh, throws it a little bit further than Aiton can catch it or throws it a little bit further than someone streaking down on the fast break can catch it. But I don't think it's a regular thing where he's constantly thinking about, I'm going to show you up. And can we take a quick step back to something you just said, Dave? You said that Devin Booker 
basically insinuated he's injured and he's a step slow. And then the head, head coach, Igor Kokoshkov, said, yeah, but Devin won't tell me what's going on. Well, he no, yeah, because he wants to play. I, I get that. In, in sports our entire lives. I get that. It just seems a little odd that that even the training staff wouldn't know and they wouldn't tell Igor. I mean, if Devin's hurting, somebody knows what's going on, I imagine. Or Igor I, just didn't want to get into it with us. Okay, well, that's that's fair enough. It's possible because they're all tired of, of you know nagging injuries. And Devin got really tired of people asking him about his hand um, during the preseason and training camp. But I heard that he was um, commenting to his own PR people as – no, I mean the Suns PR people as uh, practices would end and and them going, hey, Devin, they want to talk to you about your hand again or they want to talk to you. He's like, it's only going to be about my hand. I'm not even playing. I'm so sick of this. It's the same every day, you know, so I think he's just tired of he's had basically six, eight months straight of talking about injury. And if your body is failing you one one piece at a time, you know how the body works. If you're favoring one thing, something else is going to start hurting. Um, he's just tired of talking about it and he's going to play through it. And you know what? He's also, um, realized that scoring 38 points in a loss isn't as rewarding as trying to get your guys to be in the right spots on offense and maybe having a couple of games in a row of a dozen assists and, and seeing what happens there. So I, I think that's, he's doing what he can with his body the way it is. And, uh, he said he's a step slow and it's true. See it. We all see it. Fair enough. Thank you for the clarification. That's all I was looking for. And on that note, let's go ahead and take a break. What did you hear that Devin Booker had a plus minus of like 37 last night? He had 48 points and 11 assists and 10 of 10 from the free throw line. And if you haven't got the message that your shooting percentages are incredibly exclusive for a player of his usage rating, I'll continue conversating while the suns are escalating. One day they'll be jumping on that podium and celebrating. Speaking of Devin Booker, over his last four games with the Suns, he has averaged 15 points a game. He is shooting 35% from the field, 34% from three, averaging 9.3 assists. Um, to Dave's point earlier, he is facilitating uh, really well, and it's it's great to see him him play that that uh, facilitator role, that point guard role at times. But that being said, I felt like especially on Saturday. Uh, his scoring was sorely missed at times. Um, is this a concern at all that we're seeing a, a streak of low scoring games from Devin or is this something that you guys expect is just going to bounce back soon as he works his way through whatever injury he doesn't want to talk about? Yeah, I think he's going to bounce back. Um, I, I, he did admit that he's a step slow and you know, this is the, this is a fan base. We all ought to remember it. I know we're a few years removed now, but we dealt with, Steve Nash and nagging injuries for eight years. So um, not that this is a perennially nagging injury prone person here, um, but But he is working through it. Go ahead. Oh, that was it. Just saying it might be a, he might be a, a nagging injury type of player. He might be. We just need to expect out of Devin Booker and it's not his fault. You can't get mad at the player for it. Uh, that's possible. It might be. Uh, he may be somebody who's just working, uh, growing into his body as well. But uh, he's definitely been uh, one injury after another, and that's frustrating. Uh, but the, at least now he's to the point where he's not going to sit out anymore. He's just going to play through it. And he's been effective. I mean, his his look, his advanced stats, his PER and all that stuff is, hasn't been as effective. But uh, he's playing on a, on a team that doesn't have scoring or passing. So if he can't score, he's trying to pass. Um, I don't I don't fault him at all for for what he's going through. And he's trying to make himself um, viable in other ways if he's not going to be able to uh, extend and, and, and make his jumpers. I don't fault Devin Booker at all either. I fault the fact that there's no point guard on this roster. So he has two choices. Uh Try to be the scorer and leave this team with nobody who's the the primary passer and trying to get teammates involved, or try to be the guy that gets his teammates involved, let it impact his scoring, and and obviously whatever nagging injury is going on is doing that too. But uh, this this is this is part of it. I think he's just torn between these two things that he has to do, and and 
you know, I when he realizes he's not going to score, he's trying to fill that other role. I just think they're asking him yet again to do too much, and and that's a, a fault of of the roster. You know, you can blame previous regime. I wrote this week that uh, on bright side that that's what's going to define James Jones, and if he's the GM moving forward, is if he can find a point guard for this team and and how fast he can do it. So I think that's part of it as well. Am I worried? No, this is Devin Booker. We've seen that sometimes uh, there's ebbs and flows with his scoring. I think every great scorer has gone through that. If we go in for a month where this is going on, yeah, then there's some red flags, but a week with it where he's all, instead of scoring 38, he's dropping 10 plus assists. I'm okay with it right now. It's obviously something you got to monitor, but right now it's not a huge concern. There's not a lot of red flags. Tell us what you think, Tim. To Greg's point, Devin Booker has had to create his own shot 61% of the time this season. 39% of his shots have been assisted, which puts him in the 56th percentile among players at his position on assisted shots. So um, just kind of backing up Greg's. Uh, eye test right there right for one of the best shooters in the game he has to create his own shot more often than than you would think right um and that's the lack of point guard right there so now late the latest flavor is devin is excited about playing more and more with jamal crawford uh crawford has been a shooter as well yeah they've looked okay together and and crawford has been a shooter his whole career himself and so if booker's gonna have to be a distributor for a little while um, he can actually give the ball to a guy who can make a shot. Isaiah Kanan tries really hard, and he really means well, and he does the best he possibly can. Um, but if uh, he can't, he cannot defend. He cannot defend the pick and roll. He can't make a lot of passes. And if he does make a shot, it's a three pointer. But he doesn't really have any other game. So Jamal Crawford brings a little bit more to the table than that. And Crawford also is in people's ears all the time. He's he's the only guy now with Trevor Reza out with. Uh, personal reasons and Ryan Anderson out with athletic reasons. Sorry, Ryan, but um, I would be too. Um, You've got Jamal Crawford now is the only real veteran in that entire rotation. And it really is helpful for for the Suns to have him on the floor. And, And Devin definitely appreciates it. So I pulled up some stats on uh, Mikel Bridges for you guys, and I, I find this interesting. So Mikel Bridges, he is one of two players on the team with a positive on-off for the season. Um, the other one being Troy Daniels, but again, that is in such limited minutes that the Troy Daniels ones, I just I, that doesn't matter. Um, the starting lineup with Bridges and Warren has a positive net rating of 14.4 for an offensive rating of 113, a defensive rating of 98.6. More telling though, um, three-man lineups. Booker, Aiton, and Bridges has a positive 20 net rating. Warren, Aiton, and Bridges has a positive 18 net rating. The four-man lineup. Warren, Booker, Bridges, and Aiton has a positive 19.7 overall net rating, which basically means when you add in Isaiah Kanan that uh, he loses you about five points per 100 possessions. Uh, with a reason instead of Bridges, it's a negative net rating of 126 and uh with anderson and ariza it's a, a negative net rating of 1.5 so you guys can kind of see basically if you insert bridges into virtually any lineup with the suns that they are a better team also i think that the suns have found something with warren booker bridges and Aiden. yeah i, I want to um, go to the comments made by billy donovan who the Suns had played the Thunder three times in the last week and a half, as most Suns fans know. Uh, so there were there were a couple of questions asked of Donovan after the Thunder went three and zero in those games of how the Suns evolved at all over those over those three games, and he went immediately to Mikel Bridges. Actually, um, they're playing really really physical on defense. They're active. They're long. Bridges is going to be a really really good player. He really works defensively, and obviously Aiden has got presence and shot blocking at the basket. And they start to talk about all the guys trying to work in hard defensively on the perimeter. Um, so that was a comment made by an opposing coach um, who his team had just beaten the Suns for the third time in a row, and he was trying to point out something. And he chose Bridges. He didn't choose 
um, any uh, any other players. So I thought that the Bridges must have made that kind of impact on on him as as a thing that happened over those three games because in the prior games Trevor Ariza played small forward and I'm not this isn't anything negative on Trevor this is a big positive on Mikel and Mikel is going to be a really really good player he does play defense and he makes his open threes um so I think he's got a bright future hey you want to you want to talk about culture and changing it Mikel Bridges is a winner he won four year in his four year stint at Villanova he had a great coach in Jay Wright. Like this is this is a guy that knows how to get it done, and he plays defense, which nobody else on this team is really great at. He can hit the three. He's exactly what this team needs, uh, and they need to play him as many minutes as they can. I love seeing him in the starting lineup uh, with with TJ Warren. Uh, this this kid is has got a big big future, and changes the dynamic of what we thought. There's two things that have massively changed my opinion on what the core of this team is and what the future of this team is. It's it's Bridges and his play, and then it's T.J. Warren. You know, he, he has proven that he is a legitimate part of this team's future and can do very big things. He is no longer just a, a one-note player. He's become more dynamic thanks to that three-point shot. And so now... You go, okay, so is the core Booker, Bridges, Aiton, and Warren? Does that make other guys now extremely expendable? Uh, and and are is it time to consider moving some of those guys that you thought may be the core of your future, in particular Josh Jackson, even though his value is probably not immensely high right now? But I've been impressed with Bridges and, and more than impressed with T.J. Warren and what he's been able to do. Do you guys realize he has 25 made threes on the season? If he hits three more, he sets a career high for a season and three-pointers that he's made. And he's only uh, He's only 15 games in. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Sticking on Mikael Bridges quickly before we move over to uh, T.J. Warren, Mikael Bridges' his usage rate is uh, 14.6, putting him in the 36th percentile. And his uh, points uh, per shot, you're looking at a 1.26, which puts him in the 88th percentile for people as position. So he's a low use, he's a low usage player mm-hmm. on a, a team when you have ball dominant guys, including Aiton, Warren, and Devin Booker. And a, a guy like that that can make shots and play defense is incredibly valuable. I mean, he's he's. I'm not going to compare him to. Robert Covington, but the reason why Robert Covington was such an effective player for the Philadelphia 76ers is because he could play defense. Uh, he was a low usage guy that could hit a three. And mm-hmm. those types of players are just incredibly valuable uh, glue guys. And it's it's telling, too, how much better the Suns work with Bridges next to Warren um, than they did with a reason next to Warren. Well, and, and Bridges just does those little things that don't necessarily show up in a box score. And the interesting thing is, too, you know, if there comes a night where these high usage guys are just off or out injured, Bridges is going to have a big night. It's coming. At some point, he will have a huge night in terms of scoring, and and that'll really light the fuse on how excited uh, Suns fans are going to be about this kid. Yeah, he's never going to be a high usage guy, though, because he doesn't put the ball on the floor very often. When he does... Um, he ha- he has put the ball on the floor a few times to to drive and score when they've closed out on him on the three point line. Uh, so he he does have the ability to put the ball on the floor and be aggressive and finish, but that's not his natural game. His natural game is to catch and shoot on offense, space properly, move the ball. Um, yeah, I like the comp to Robert Covington, um, Tim. I, I think that was really good, and I think that is a potential for a really good future for him as a really, really high-quality complementary piece to your true stars, um, which you know are going to be, in this case, DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker. Well, at this point, you know the teams that are separated from mediocre to good are the ones that have found those complementary role players next to their mm-hmm. stars, which is something that the Suns unfortunately haven't been able to do i mean if you look at the box um where you have chris middleton you know he's a guy that they got in the second round uh you know and you can go down the list of teams where you have these complimentary mm. role players that are so incredibly vital and the suns unfortunately haven't hit on any of their second round picks i know that there was an article that um 
I, I'm blanking on his name. I feel really bad about it right now. Uh, he writes for Brightside. Uh, uh, Brendan Clean, I believe. Yeah, Brendan. That he wrote it, and he was talking about Robert Covington. Not Robert Covington, excuse me, Rashawn Holmes. And he was basically saying this was the first time that the Suns have really hit on a second-round pick, even though they didn't draft him. Um, and those players are just so incredibly valuable and they, they make your team work. And on, uh, speaking of Rashawn Holmes, uh, dude, he's been good to, to he, be yeah, fair, he tries really hard to, to be fair on finding those complimentary pieces until the last few years, they didn't have those uh, top tier pieces to find complimentary pieces around, uh, either. So I, I, <laughs> I think Mikhail Bridges might actually wind up being more than just a complimentary piece though. Like I, I, I think that's the role he's playing now, but as he grows with these guys, I don't, I just, I think he's going to be a little bit more than Robert Covington. I think Robert Covington is if, if things work out just okay for Mikhail Bridges, Robert Covington is the guy he is. I think he could be better. And he's another guy that would benefit immensely from a point guard that could get him open looks. I'm really liking how he's uh, spotting up on the, on the weak side when when Booker and Aiton get in the pick and roll. One of the, God, that is so dangerous. Um, when Booker and Aiton are in a pick and roll, the entire defense of the of the opponent sucks into the paint as as Aiton every single catch. Aiton there's there's a, there's two guys coming uh, behind Aiton as well as the guy fronting Aiton uh, defensively trying to stop that lob because Aiton. Aiden has some tells. Um, if or uh, Aiden has some tendencies that he hasn't yet broken out of. Remember, he's only 15 games into his NBA career. But when you when you bounce pass it to him on the pick and roll, he is going to stop and he's either going to pass it back out or he's going to take a jumper. If you lob it to him, then he goes to the basket. And so defend defenses know depending on how the ball is passed to him on the pick and roll, what Aiden's going to do with it already. Um, so until Aiden uh, varies that a little bit, it, they're not going to be quite as successful, but they're still pretty darn successful on that pick and roll. And what Booker is finding is that when three guys suck in to stop Peyton on that catch on the, on the roll, um, there's going to be open, open guys on the perimeter. And really it's becoming more and more effective because you've got TJ Warren who can make 40% of his threes on the weak side, as well as Mikel Bridges who can make those threes on the weak side. That was supposed to be Ryan Anderson and Trevor Ariza. So the fact that it's already developed into T.J. Warren and Mikel Bridges, I think that's a really good sign going forward. So <sighs> Dragon Bender played on Saturday. Is it? It was his birthday. Happy twenty-first birthday to Dragon Bender. Was it yeah. just you guys, or was it just me that had the thought that that was merely? Um, a, uh, a message to Ryan Anderson, and also I didn't hate seeing Dragon Bender on the floor. No, I don't. Well, th- I don't think what do you, what message you need to send to Ryan Anderson at this point. He's not playing anyways. Like I don't think it's a message. I think it was a fact that you're short-handed without Ariza, so you just throw Bender in, hoping that maybe this coaching that you're doing uh, away from games and in practice actually uh, did something for this kid. Instead, they throw him a life raft, and he found a way to sink it again. Yeah, you know, I I, tw- I tweeted this because I had this thought as I was watching Bender brick a couple of open threes and otherwise get abused on on defense a little bit more than he should have. And I, I hearken back to when the Suns acquired Ryan Anderson at the end of August. I'm like, oh, that's a stretch four who's had a really good career be- being a stretch four who is just passable in all the other areas, and he can be effective. I really hope Dragon Bender can emulate Ryan Anderson. And the sad part is that he, he has. has. <laughs> the wrong Ryan Anderson. Way to go. Yeah, I, um, I just I feel bad for the kid because I don't take joy in, in any guy flaming out like that, but it's almost comical now because it, you it, deep down you hope he has, has a night when he gets the opportunity. And on the surface, you you understand what's going to happen. You just this kid's confidence is completely broken, and I don't think it's coming back anytime soon. Well, it might click, and I really hope it does click for Dragon, uh, whatever team he's on, whether even if it's with the Suns, um, because he has the skills. 
he was just not imbued with any of the intangible bits to be able to put those skills together. Kudos to Mike Lisboa on Twitter who made that comment. I thought that was that was the perfect description of Dragon Bender. It's like God built a player with all the skills in the world but gave him no ability to actually execute with those skills. <laughs> so I thought that was good because he does have skills, and I hope he does put it together. But between him and Josh Jackson going through these bad lulls, I mean, those were the, the Suns' two top – Young boy, Devin Booker was out last spring, um, and because we'd all already seen enough of Tyler Eulis, really last spring was about Dragon Bender and Josh Jackson playing 30-plus minutes a game uh, for the Suns, if, if, if you recall. And both those guys are now back down in the dumps because they're not producing um, on this team today, and Bridges and Aiton and, and Booker being back have all passed them by. So I hope for their sake – they find their they find their calling again and really learn how to how to deliver. But the first thing they have to do is figure out how that delivery is going to fit with this team. A hundred episodes in, and I'm pretty sure of fifty of them, Davis said that same thing about Dragon Bender. It's been it's always been the <laughs> I hope this kid figures it out. Uh, you know, and, and, I, and I he has not, a talent too. I'm not an inhabitant on Bender Island. But, you know, I do see it in the distance, and I see that it, it does have a couple palm trees on it. It does. You see you see the smoke is still emanating from it since it was <laughs> napalmed about a month ago. Those palm trees have died, man. You're looking at a mirage here in the desert. They don't actually exist. You know. So, um, quickly, TJ Warren, 46% from three, putting him in the 90th percentile for his position. He's hitting 47% of his corner threes. 45% from everywhere else. Um, last year, his three-point attempt rate was 0.085%. This year, it is 0.295%. So not only is he hitting at a better clip, he's taking a lot more. He has a true shooting percentage of 61%. You mean, well, you mean 29.5%, uh, don't you? Not 0.295%. Yeah, right, correct. So so 8.5% and 29.5%. And right, Moving right, the decimal right. there. Uh, shoe shooting percentage, 61% this year compared to 54% last year. Last year, he had a negative box plus minus of negative 1.9. This year, it is a positive of 0.1. Uh, his PER last season, 17.6. His PER this season, 19.1. Oh, I hey, love, I love that's the, that. I'm so, 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 so happy that I was wrong on TJ Warren. Thank you so much, TJ for taking those thousands of shots over the summer and figuring out how to make a three. I really appreciate that because I was really sad to see that TJ was going to play himself basically out of, out of relevance in the league because he couldn't score from three. Um, so huge kudos. I love watching him shoot. I love, I love the, um, the fearlessness he, he has with shooting. And then as soon as they start closing out on him, he just becomes more and more powerful out there offensively dude what he did to steven to adams when steven adams kind of jumped at his pump fake on the three oh dude that, that little hesitation move and then drove to the yeah. rim it was beautiful he's been he's always been so good inside the arc but teams have not had to play him outside the arc before now they're gonna have to he is a problem and i love the fact that tj warren has become a problem this way because he's still got all that inside scoring ability that he ever had now yeah, he's at jesus <laughs> I'm I'm couldn't be more excited about TJ Warren and like you said Dave glad he proved us wrong. Is there any chance proved he you can guys pull wrong. a uh, right uh, proved just... us wrong? Nobody thought he was going to become a three point shooter though. Nobody thought he was going to come out and hit hit the percentage that he is and and do what he's done this year. I don't care how how much you were in TJ Warren's corner. Nobody predicted this, and if you said you did, you're lying through your teeth. All right. Yeah. So that being I, said, can, I have firmly been on the TJ Warren Island on this. Yeah, podcast. but did you yes. did you think he was going to become a thirty um, percent of the time taking threes and making forty plus percent of them, Tim? No, but I still thought he was a valuable player. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, he's always been valuable, but yeah. he's much much more valuable. We all agree, I think, that he's much more valuable now. Than I don't he was think. Yeah, I don't think Dave and I have ever once said TJ Warren isn't valuable i was i was a, a firm believer that he was the sixth man uh, on a team now i i've obviously backed off that stance and been more than willing to admit that i was wrong on that but nobody thought 
he was going to be a three-point threat. Uh, is there any chance he can pull a space jam and do a water bottle that says TJ's secret stuff and hand it over to Bender to get him some confidence? Maybe that's the way we get Drog and Bender going. Is uh, what do you think? Think it's transferable, you know? What do you guys think of the nickname Three J Warren? I like it, seeing as I was the one that texted it to you, <laughs> and then I used it in an article and took full credit for exactly. it. Exactly. And now it's uh, <laughs> now now it's everywhere. I, uh, I do like it. Um, there was another one that we were debating on doing and we were going to put up a poll, but the reason why I didn't do it is because I felt like it would be really hard to, uh, to speak it, if you will, because of the way it was, it was spelled as opposed to three J Warren and, and Greg, you can speak to this better, but the other one was what three Warren or something. I, I don't remember. I come up with so many bad nicknames that I don't remember what the other one was. But three J Warren is really good, Dave, and thank you for you're uh, like the, you're like taking the, the idea. That, yeah, you're you're like the idea the, the dude who throws out a hundred things and one of them sticks, and you go, "See, I told you," and you don't I'm talk a, about the ninety-nine. Hey, okay, I have a better percentage than that, but I'm most certainly a high volume shooter. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> uh, that's not that. There's no doubt in that, but. Uh, the timeline, 3J Warren, uh, the Bled Show was mine. Uh, there's a lot of them that that stuck and are still around right now. All right. Uh, watching the Bucks, I almost missed Eric Bledsoe. Thinking if only he played like that for the Suns. He did for a little while. He did for a little I, while. He was really good for a little while, and he just there just weren't enough players around him. He's not a guy who could be actually, your solo guy. I don't think he'd be that good in this offense. I think he'd be good defensively, but I don't think in this offense he'd be particularly effective. He'd be better than Isaiah Cannon. Yeah, I mean, you would, a lot of people would be better than Isaiah Cannon. I mean, let's be real at this point. It's just, I and I love Isaiah Cannon, but holy shit, that, that pick-and-roll defense with Isaiah Cannon and DeAndre Ayton is the worst. I mean, it, it, try, it would be like putting Brandon Jennings and Ennis, and Ennis Cantor in a pick-and-roll and having to watch it like 40 times a game. No, in a little it hurts. bit. It hurts my head to watch. I've never seen such bad pick-and-roll defense between those two guys guarding the pick-and-roll. I mean, it's, look, it's, DeAndre it's Aiden, awful. Look, DeAndre Ayton, his island is bigger than the Bahamas, okay? Um, his string of islands and all that. He's, it's it's huge. I get it. I love um, DeAndre Ayton, but that dude cannot guard a pick-and-roll, especially. But it depends yeah, on the guard he's but, playing with. That matters a lot. I was going to just say that, that um, Isaiah Cannon's defense, you know, his physical limitations just getting through and playing defense makes it hard for the big to have a good showing if he's not a shot blocker at the rim that can trail the guy because um, Cannon's getting blown by by these guards right away and and Aiden is stuck. Who is he going to guard? He's got two guys who are past Cannon and he has to choose between them and he gets stuck in no man's land. Um, So... And he's not a he's not a recovering shot blocker. He just isn't a help side blocker. He's never going to be, or at least he's not yet anyway. So I also said T.J. Warren was never going to be a three-point shooter. So we'll see how that all develops. But, yeah, no, I get what you're saying. But in Aiton's defense, uh, he's, he's, forced, he's being forced to choose between guarding two guys. And right now he's not guarding either of them. Yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and take it over to three headlines from Suns Reddit. Ooh, I love these because they're uh, crazier than some of the stuff I send out. So let's do this. <laughs> uh, this one, and we, we were kind of texting about this the other night. This is by Soup for Your Armpit. TJ leaves <laughs> Josh Jackson out to dry. Josh Jackson asks him if he wants to fucking play or what. This was on that inbound pass. Yeah, so the inbound pass. What happened is that both... Both Suns guards, and I'm sorry I didn't look up the lineup before this, but both Suns guards um, on it. Okay, so it was out of timeout. The Suns had to go the full length of the court inbound from under the uh, opponent basket. Um, both guards sprinted down to the other end, probably thinking the other one was going to stay for the inbounds pass. So literally there was nobody on this side, on, on Josh Jackson's side of half court for about two seconds, and there was a five-second rule on inbounding. Um, so TJ Warren kind of floated backwards toward the ball, but then inexplicably floated away and, and allowed the ball to be stolen by, by Paul George. Um, I don't know what was happening there, but all I know is there was a lot of screw ups on that play and Jackson was mad about everything, but he was definitely mad about TJ Warren kind of fading away from catching the pass when nobody else was going to do it. 
Are we sure TJ didn't do it on purpose to teach Josh Jackson a lesson? <laughs> what what lesson are you trying to teach the inbound? I don't know. I like I to me too. Do are we did did the Reddit guy just read lips? Are we sure that? Yeah, what, I went and listened what, to what, it. What he said? Yeah, he definitely. You, yep. Yeah, okay, you get to hear it. I I had to watch on mute. I was trying to put a two year old to bed, so I and was watching. Well, I mean, it, the words were not. You had to read the lips, but okay. I mean, no, you could you could hear it. You could hear it. I I replayed it a couple of times. You <laughs> could, it, it, the, the broadcast uh, picked it up. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> but, I like. But, this is TJ Warren who did play. He had 23 points uh, and he, he helped the Suns on the, on their comeback and, and staying competitive in the game. So it wasn't like TJ had, had mailed in the entire game and now Josh Jackson was blowing up at him. It was the one play that they were talking. Shouldn't that conversation have gone the other way? Right. Like, shouldn't it have been TJ Warren <laughs> asking Josh Jackson that question every single game of this season? Except for one when he had 14 points. He still didn't shoot well percentage wise when he had that fourteen. So, look, Josh tried really hard last um, on Saturday night. He had four steals. Look, he the guy's a boomer bust guy. He's, he's actually he's Josh so Jackson has been better the last week. He's been better. Yeah, he's got so much energy. He just doesn't know what to do with it, and he doesn't um, he doesn't expend it in the right ways all the time. But yeah, the guy had two steals, two rebounds, four excuse me, four steals, two rebounds, two assists. And two turnovers in something like 17 minutes, and so he was okay. He's not great, but he was he he, he tries, and he puts how, a ton of effort out there. How much is it of it is on Igor? Because Jay Triano obviously tapped into something with Josh Jackson. Yeah, I remember and, that. And gained that his respect. Yeah, no, well, Jay Triano, what he did is he he told Josh Jackson how to get to 20 points. He said, "You get offensive rebounds. I can get you four points a game. Uh, you know, offensive offensive rebound putbacks. Fast breaks are going to get you six or eight. The thing is, the Suns were playing a lot faster last year, and Josh Jackson was uh, was able to get six or eight points off the fast break in broken plays. Basically, um, Triano showed him how to score in, when there's broken plays. Um, so I th- I think that was good on Triano to to sit Josh Jackson down, but." Jackson had to have um, a real long, you know, month-long, two-month-long slump to get to the point where he realized something about what he was doing had to change. Maybe that's happening again. He did have an interview on Friday with Bickley Murata on 98.7 FM, and he basically said that um, this does feel like last year where he's in the in, in the first two-month slump. Uh, but he also said it's not his fault that that he's playing poorly. It's everybody else's fault pretty much. And that's just a young guy, you know, puffing his chest out. But he doesn't quite know how he's going to succeed in this offense. And but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that he does figure it out because he is a good player with talent. He just isn't applying it in the right ways right now. He's basically dragging Bender with a motor right now. Well, and that's Trion, or that's uh, Kokoshkov's job is to teach him what his place in this offense but is. Kokoshkov has 15 yeah. guys, and yeah, I get it. And six or eight of them are doing better at it. And he's got to focus on getting DeAndre Aiden to know what to do every time and Devin Booker to know what to do every time. Um, the Thunder made a couple of positive comments about Igor. I know Igor gets a lot of crap uh, from, from fans because basically you just want your team to win. And when the team doesn't win, you want to blame everybody. Well, um, it's his bro- he, 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 is, he is not without some due criticism. And no, I, I like Igor, and I think he's going to be a criticism. coach. But he definitely should get some criticism for sure. But um, to criticize him for trying to play through guys and figure out who's going to be successful for the first month of your of your of your uh, tenure with a team, yeah, he's made some some weird decisions. But then again, if those had worked out, they wouldn't have seemed so weird. Um, he did get some credit um, after the Thunder game, play, having played the Thunder third time in in two weeks. Um, a couple of the players did say that the Suns did a good job of masking their sets and and all that and and um, changing things up so that they were they were a little confused long enough to be able to get a play to be successful. So Igor has adapted and he has taken Ryan Anderson out of the out of the rotation and he's limited Josh Jackson's ineffective minutes and he's pl- given more minutes to guys who have been effective. So he has made some adjustments, but you're right, he is not without criticism. And and he's got a long way to go as a coach as well. Well, he's a rookie. I mean, we, I I don't care if you've been an assistant for 17 years or 100 years in the NBA. It, it it's different when you're the guy when you're the head coach, and it does take some time. That would be a really good assistant. Learning. 
Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> but I, I mean that that's, that's like tech just the, that that's just the thing. It takes time when you when you get the head job to learn it. We're a month in. We've seen progress, and and uh, that was not a Igor is an awful coach comment that I was making. Just simply an observation that. If Triano got it out of him at some point, uh, you have to hope that Igor finds a way to connect with Josh Jackson and get the most out of him in this offense as well. Yes. Uh, Coming up on time, let's do the last two, three headlines from Reddit. And this one I feel like is pretty easy. It comes from TravTravTrav48. He said, why isn't Troy Daniels playing? Why should he? What? what, Yeah, Because they have Jamal Crawford. I mean, that's why he's not playing. Well, and it, like, what what does he add that you're not already getting here? He's not going to solve the issues. He's not going to solve your defensive issues. He's not a guy that's going to solve your your playmaking issues. So why are you going to give him minutes that can go to Bridges? That can go to uh, can go to T.J. Warren. That can that you know that Booker has that Crawford is playing. Uh, you know, which I retract my statement that I said on Twitter that I'd never want to see Jamal Crawford play another minute in a son's uniform. I, I retract that. He's done nice things for this young group, but there's just no reason for Troy Daniels to play. My question is, why hasn't Troy Daniels been moved yet is my is my bigger question. Remember that sure... the Memphis had to give a second round pick to the Suns to get the Suns to take Troy Daniels. So it's not like Daniels has as tradable. Somebody has to want him. Value. Yeah. yeah, well, he's he's going to be part of, of something larger, I'm sure, just to make salaries start to work. And we're probably looking at that December 15th date as a time frame when maybe something can happen. And you know what? Talk about a rewind. I think we're on episode 50 of us saying that they're going to make a trade for a point guard. Well, this is true. But, uh, and, and this goes... This goes well into last year, too, and a big move is coming, I think, has has been the theme for five years. But the longer I have to sit here and wait for James Jones and this front office to make a move, the crazier I get in my thinking about John Wall might just be the guy to go all in on, despite the giant contract. No, John Wall is good, but the contract is big. So the last one, just because of time. And maybe we can intro the next episode with the with the John Wall debate. But this is coming from Bickley over at Arizona Sports. Uh, Vice Lord John posted Bickley's comment saying that Trevor Ariza is rumored to be heading back to the Rockets. Yeah, we've heard this this vague rumor since the day he signed here that if things went sideways, they'd trade him back to the Rockets. What are you going to get in return if if they want to have to take Brandon Knight back to trade? Trevor that would be Lisa funny, wouldn't it? The Rockets. Oh my God, we we could be on what weird weird roller coaster here. What if what if Brandon sure. Knight could actually play then though? And we don't want to play no. Trevor Ariza because we want to give those minutes to uh, Mikael Bridges. I actually Bridges. like watching Jamal Crawford more than I like watching. I kind of like watching Jamal Crawford. I've I've come around on Jamal Crawford in the last week. I I, I am enjoying that backcourt with it's him. It's as if there's a reason he's been in the league 18 years and won three six man of the year awards hey also why didn't the suns play a kobo on saturday night uh when they had just recalled them from the g league why'd they play mountain instead because i felt like they could have used the kobo's offense uh probably defensively i think i think crawford for the same reason daniels isn't playing right now um kobo doesn't need to play as long as crawford is playing effectively i think there's only so many offensive players that can't play defense you can put on the court at once or in any one game uh, but back to the comment on Trevor Reza going back to the Rockets. It is interesting that he's had family reasons that he's left and he looked checked out way before that. It is quite possible that he really is having family reasons and maybe we shouldn't just assume that he's trying to angle for a release or a buyout or something like that. Um, I don't think it's trade season right now to trade him back to the Rockets because um, the Rockets would have to give up a 15 million and that would be funny if it was Brandon Knight coming back. Um, but uh, I really think it's more likely that he actually is having personal um, family things going on, and he was distracted, and uh, we didn't see the best of Trevor Ariza. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with Kokoshov said that he hopes that Ariza is gonna be able to join the Suns on their upcoming uh, East Coast trip. Yeah. yeah, like I, well, obviously you can't trade him till December fifteenth. If they buy him out uh, to and let him go somewhere, I'm gonna be 
irrationally angry. Like you were going to get irrational mad Espo on that, that following episode because he is a trade chip. He's a guy in a salary that you can use to get somebody in here that might be able to help you long-term uh, with a team that's desperate to, to bolster their ability in the playoffs. Like if they just simply let him walk right. to go back to Houston, it is going to be the dumbest move that you could possibly right. make. Or trade him for a Brandon Knight now. Yeah, no, there's no there, – the rumors are simply that people have been talking about it for months, that he'll eventually go back to what, where he was good before. But I think it's even more likely he goes to the Lakers if he ever um, does get bought out. But I just don't see the Suns doing that. I don't see the Suns doing a buyout. I think I see exactly what you just said, Greg. They're going to hold on to him long enough to see if they can get something for him at the trade deadline. This is the team that held on to Greg Monroe for a couple of months last year, even though he was out of the rotation. So I, I think for sure we have not seen the last of Trevor Ariza. And when he does play, if he can clear his head and get focused, then he could be it could be really good. That was the point of signing him in the first place because he is a good player. Look, and I have a great deal of respect uh, for Dan Bickley, but this is the same Bick that this week said the Suns may have a legitimate chance to get Kevin Durant next offseason and drew the line somehow by going, okay, so James Jones let Tyson Chandler go to to the Lakers to help LeBron, and then it was like a beautiful mind trying to get to how Kevin Durant might be conned into thinking Phoenix is his best option. So I'm not going to sit there and go, hey, yes, he's the gospel on – on Phoenix Sun stuff right now. Everybody's heard the rumblings that that the idea of Trevor Ariza going back to Houston because it makes sense. They just let Melo go. They they miss him uh, in what they're trying to do, and Trevor Ariza would bolster their chance to compete with the Warriors. Just because it makes sense doesn't mean it's going to happen. On last week's episode of The Timeline, we had Phoenix Suns writer from AZ Central, Dwayne Rankin, who said this. But just, just think about that statement. He's our Steve Nash right now. So you're saying this dude 7-1 and he's your playmaker right now? Like, that's just saying a lot about what he thinks. Subscribe to The Timeline now on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play.